Hello, friends. This is Pastor Pierce Eaton, and you're listening to First and Foremost, a podcast where we give you teaching and tools to make Jesus Christ first and foremost in your life. All right. So we are in going to be in Mark chapter 6 today. At least that's where we're starting. If you'll flip there in your Bible. So we're going through our series on rhythms and disciplines, establishing patterns for transformation. Our focal verse for this series has been 1 Timothy 4.9, where we're told to train yourself, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, in this life and the life to come. Now, we've, we've understood that God works by the power of his Holy Spirit placed in the life of a believer to work in us, the, the, the word that the Bible uses to sanctify us for his good, um, good plans and pleasure in our lives. God works, and he uses several different means to do that, but one of the primary means that God works in you through, by the power of his Holy Spirit, are the... Um, biblically prescribed rhythms and disciplines brought up in Scripture. Last week we looked and covered at, looked at and covered the discipline of stewardship, and today we are looking at the discipline of slowing. Now this is not a very common discipline, but I think, in fact, I would not even say that this is one of the core spiritual disciplines in Scripture. However, I think this specific discipline uh, addresses an extreme need in the majority of our lives. And so we are going to talk about that today. You guys cool with that? All right, cool. Well, I want to invite you to stand. We're going to look at uh, Mark 6, like I said, Mark 6, verses 30 through 32. We're going to look at an interesting passage of Scripture. I'm going to explain it in a moment. This is what God's word says. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Okay, let's pray. Father, This morning as we look at the discipline of slowing, Father, I I ask that you help us to recognize the need to slow down. You help us to see how hurry in our life has been something that has gotten in the way of us fully and wholeheartedly pursuing you and what you have for our lives. And Father, as I preach this this morning, I know that many of us, even in this moment, can't stop and be where we are right now. We're thinking about a conversation we had 10 minutes ago, or we're thinking about something that's coming up this week or later today, and we, we cannot help but be distracted in our own mind. And so, Father, I just ask that you remove that from our attention and you help us to focus on you right now. 
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take a seat. Okay, so if you were to comb through the Bible, and you would never actually see the term slowing in Scripture, and you would not see a, a specific instance where slowing down is prescribed. However, if we were to look at Scripture carefully and we were to study the life and the ways of Jesus, we would see a, a lifestyle, a, a kind of a pattern of life and a pace of life in Jesus that is completely unfamiliar to us in this modern age. In our modern age, hurry is the norm. Hurry and busyness, that's the norm. And we think even so much, we, we are so hurried and so busy, we think of slowing and slowness as a negative thing. When you think about slow, you probably think about slow in a negative way. And yet the Bible doesn't talk about slow in that same way. If you just do a search through the Bible of the word slow or slowly, um, ever being used, in the ESV it's used 22 times, and 18 of those 22 times it's used to talk about something positively. In fact, the majority of those 18 times that the words slow or slowly are used are actually describing God and his movement and character. But many of us, we've been convinced by our world, by our upbringing, by our never-ending to-do list, that busyness and hurry are actually what's good. We don't even stop and slow down enough to contemplate the idea that God might have something better for us in the slowness of life. This is why I chose this passage this morning. Because in this passage, just before it, Jesus sends out the disciples. And when he sends them out, he, he sends them out and he gives them authority to go and, and proclaim who he is. And he even puts the, 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 the spirits of darkness in subject to them by his authority. And they come back and they do miraculous things. They come back and they tell Jesus of all that they've done. But they've, they come back with such a burden of hurry on their shoulders. The passage says that they could not even find time, enough leisure to eat a meal. And Jesus tells them, stop. I just want to take a moment to appreciate this. At the moment where the disciples were the most effective in their ministry ever. For the first time, they, they cast out demons in Jesus' name. They healed people in Jesus' name. They did miraculous things in Jesus' name. That's the time to keep going. Let's go. Let's move. Let's move. We got more to do, more to do, more to do. And that's when Jesus said, no. Stop. Slow down. We've got to go to a desolate place. You need to slow. So that's why we're talking about slowness today because I can see already some of us are feeling convicted because we live such hurried lives that the idea of slowing, my goodness, how could we ever? I've got three points for you this morning. And the first one is that hurry hinders. Hurry hinders. 
1974, two cardiologists discovered a link between cardiovascular health and living a hurried lifestyle. They found that people who lived a hurried lifestyle had a significantly increased likelihood to have cardiovascular disease. From their study and recognizing the effects of hurry on the body, psychologists coined the term hurry sickness. It's a real thing. Hurry sickness is when a person is living with a frequent and excessive sense of time urgency that it affects them physically, but it also affects them psychologically so that they continue to work harder and harder and faster and faster and any interruption breeds in them anger or anxiety, agitation. Hurry sickness is categorized, or at least manifests very clearly in some different symptoms. I want to just go over three symptoms with you. We'll see what, how you do with these three. So um, hurry sickness can show in this way. Um, if you're the person who, when you get to the grocery store and you're trying to check out, and you see how long the lines are, and you're the person that gets in line, and then you see that line's going a little bit faster, so you go and you get in that line, and you're looking for the quickest line to get out of there as quickly as possible, you might have a little bit of hurry sickness. Or maybe um, you are driving up to the stoplight and you count the cars in front of you in which lane so that you can move over two lanes so that you can get two cars closer up. Yeah, some of us are laughing because we do it, right? You might have a little bit of hurry sickness. Another example of this is multitasking to the point of forgetting one of the tasks that we were doing. Yeah, it's like I was doing something a minute ago. I'll figure it out again. I think all of us probably, if we're honest with ourselves, have hurry sickness because hurry and busyness are a part of the American way of life. Talk to anyone for just a moment and they will tell you about how busy they are. It doesn't matter who they are. Even little kids these days think that they're busy, right? Kids, teenagers, college students, young families, uh, empty nesters, retired people, all across the board, we all are busy. But the busyness that we have often gets in the way of our ability to connect with God, to commune with him, and our ability to love others well. We move through life at such a frenetic and frantic pace that we're, we're, we end up sacrificing in the areas that matter the most. Ruth Haley Barton, a Christian author, um, gives a list of 10 things, 10 signs that you're moving through life too fast. You wanna hear them? First one is irritability. Are you on edge? Second one, hypersensitivity. Third, restlessness. That when you try to stop to rest, you, you just can't quite do it because you have a never-ending to-do list in your mind. Fourth, compulsive overworking. Fifth, uh, emotional numbness. That you can't feel the full uh, breadth of emotions because you're so filled with agitation or anxiety that the other emotions don't even manifest. 
Escapist behaviors like binge watching TV, uh, scrolling, doom scrolling through social media, or um, excessively drinking alcohol. Um, six, escape, or sorry, seventh, um, disconnected from your identity or calling, that you forget who God has called you to be, what He's called you into, and how He's gifted you for that. Eight, not able to attend to basic human needs like sleeping, exercising. Getting, eating healthy, getting enough sleep is a huge one. Sadly, the American way of life is compromising on our sleep in order to get all the things done and many other things. Um, hoarding energy, number nine. So rather than spending your energy with the people who deserve it most, you end up hoarding your energy for the never-ending to-do list that you have to get to. And 10th is slippage in spiritual disciplines and practices. We look for ways to cut out and we end up cutting out time with God. Many of us on that list are 10 for 10, if if not at least seven of those things. But here's the thing. We were not made to live this way. Remember, Christianity is more about a relationship with God than it is about a religion. And many of us are too hurried to slow down and commune with God. We're we're too hurried to invest in the most important relationship in our lives. Not only is this lifestyle bad for us in our relationship with the Lord, but it's also bad in our relationship with others, which is point two, hurry and love are incompatible. Hurry and love are incompatible. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is in all of scripture, in Matthew 22, he he said this. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. For many of us, we live with such a hurried and fast-paced life that we can't stop to, um, to really commune with God or thoughtfully engage our spouse, our kids, coworkers, neighbors, let alone strangers. Yet if we were to look at Jesus' life, we would see a life that was very busy, but completely unhurried and relaxed. In fact, Jesus is a good example of living an unhurried life. If you look at his life, you will see that uh, he handled interruptions really, really well. You can tell a lot about a person by the way they handle interruptions. In Mark chapter 5, or Mark chapter 5, in Mark alone, sorry, Jesus was interrupted um, at least 35 times. Isn't that wild? Just in Mark alone, he was interrupted 35 times. And yet Jesus meets every single interruption with grace and kindness. He stops. He engages people. He talks to people. He listens to people. He cares for them. A really good example of this is on the night when Jesus, or the night before Jesus was crucified, so the night that he was arrested and taken and tried, what did he do? 
he hung out with his disciples. He prayed, absolutely. It's amazing that Jesus, looking, knowing that the cross was coming, knowing that he was going to the cross, he was going to go through Roman crucifixion, which would have been agonizing, but on top of that, he was going to take on your and my sins upon himself and the wrath of God toward you in himself. And he was going to the cross for that purpose. And on that night, he spent time with his disciples. And he didn't have them serve him. He served them. Jesus was very busy, if you look at his life. There's a good busy and there's a bad busy. Jesus was very, very busy investing in, in people and doing the things that actually mattered. But he was never hurried. And yet many of us, we are so hurried that we can't stop to be. We're called to live a life of love toward God and love towards others. And hurry truly, really does hinder us from this endeavor. And so what do we do? How do we overcome this? My encouragement to you is point number three this morning, which is to slow down and be with. I know that sentence ends there. You're not supposed to end a sentence on with, but slow down and be with. Many of us have become so addicted to doing that we've forgotten how to simply be with, with God, with others. But if we desire to be people who truly love God and others, then we must be willing to get off the racetrack of life and move into the slow lane. As a pastor, I have the honor of counseling and comforting people in their final days or stage of life. And in that time, one of the things I sometimes like to ask people are what their biggest regrets are. And I'll, I'll tell you something. The, the biggest regrets that people have at the end of life are almost always the exact same. Almost everyone regrets not spending enough time in the relationships that mattered the most to them, whether that was their spouse or their kids, or many people say, I, I wish I would have just spent more time investing in my relationship with God. I didn't figure it out to the end. That's what really, that's what matters. In fact, you know, the people who, who have that, that problem, who state that most clearly, is often men. Dads, usually, state very clearly, I wasted much of my time and influence on things that didn't actually matter. You know what I've never heard someone say in that place? I've never heard someone say, you know, the thing I regret the most is I just didn't spend enough hours at the office. I'm serious. I've never heard someone say that. I've, I've never heard someone say, you know, if I would have just, just, just neglected my family and focused on my career more, then my life would be really good. No one states that. And, and this is not an encouragement to live a life of sloth. So the Bible's very clear that uh, we're not to live lazy lives, but we can idolize work to the point where it becomes our God. 
We can idolize busyness and hurry to the point where it becomes our God. Because we, we, get, we get to where we bend our knee and worship the idol of doing. Goodness, we can even do this for the Lord. If anyone in this room struggles with uh, the tyranny of the hurry and the doing the next thing for God, it's this guy right here. I'm right there with you. I mean, often in the same boat that the disciples were in. That God's working, God's doing something, God's, God's uh, moving mightily, and I just want to be a part of it, and I just want to do more, and how do I step up, and how do I, how do I steward well what God has for me? And I forget to be with. Psalm 46.10, God says to us this, be, be still and know that I am God. And he says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Our job is to be still. Let him work. Let him work in us and through us. Matthew eleven twenty eight through thirty, Jesus tells us, "Come to me, all who are labor, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light." Are we willing to enter into the rest that Jesus has for us? That rest doesn't only come in the hereafter, in heaven. That rest is for you now. Are you willing to take off the heavy load that you've placed on your own shoulders and take up the light yoke of Jesus? This is hard to do because this is just so ingrained in us, is it not? Am I, am I, am, am I preaching to myself only this morning? <laughs> we, I think we all struggle with this, right? So practically, what can we do to help us break away from the hurry and the busyness of everything and create room, as we just sang that song a second ago, create room for God to work in us, through us, for us to love other people well? How do we do this? Practically, I want to give you five kind of tips, things for you to try um, see if this might work for you. So this is five things for you to try. The first one is practice slowing and patience in simple activities. So try driving in the slow lane the entire way home. And when that guy that's got a bunch of stuff in the back of his truck who's going 17 miles an hour gets in front of you, you just chill and you go slow. Man, that would be really hard, right? Um, how about this? When you go to the grocery store, get in the longer checkout line. Or what about this? If you had a doctor's appointment or some kind of appointment, show up 10 minutes early and don't take out your phone one time. And just be there. Doing things like this simply trains our minds to realize that we don't need to do everything quickly. Everything is not a moment to get through. And what I think you'll realize when you do things like being aware of where you are when you're at the grocery store is all of a sudden, you'll start to be aware of the people around you. 
wait, there have been people here the whole time? I just, thought they were, I just thought they were obstacles for me to get what I needed in the grocery store. But that's how we live, is it not? And when we slow down, we start to see things and we can start to pray for the people around us. We can start, strike up a conversation. I know people actually still sometimes talk to strangers. You could be one of those people too. So strike up a conversation with someone you don't know and see where the Lord takes it. There are many things we can do if we just slow down. God can use that space if we're willing to create it. Second thing you can do is just to cut things out of your schedule. In order to do this and do this well, you have to have clarity on what God has called you to and what you should prioritize. But I think you need to cut things out of your schedule. Elizabeth Elliot, someone that Karen and I both admire, she wrote this. She said, one reason we are so hurried is that we make yesterday and tomorrow our business when all that legitimately concerns us is today. If we really have too much to do, there are some things on the agenda which God did not put there. Let us submit the list to him and ask him to indicate which of these items must, we must delete. There is always time to do the will of God. If we, are too busy to, if we are too busy to do that, then we are too busy. Draw up your schedule, write it out, and just remove a few things. You probably don't need to do it. Third thing you can do Listen, guys, this is part you want to hear. Third thing you need to do is limit your screen time, okay? The average American spends, get this, seven hours and four minutes daily looking at a screen for entertainment. That doesn't include your work time. That's TV, movies, video games, and your phone. The modern smartphone is a huge distraction and instrument for hurry in our lives. It was quite literally designed to be addictive. I don't know if you know this, Steve Jobs, whenever he was alive and he was a part of inventing the smartphone, Steve Jobs quite literally would go to the team of designers over and over and say, how can we make people want this even more? How can we make them long for it throughout the day how can we make them always want to be looking at it? They, he purposely designed it to be as addictive as possible. The average American spends three hours and 43 minutes on their phone a day, where the average Gen Zer spends seven hours and 12 minutes a day on their phone. Like I said, your phone was designed to be addictive. That's why it has lights that flash and, and loud noises and notifications that are going off all the time. And it is all to get you to long to look at your phone. This is why, this is going to be another number that's just kind of mind-boggling. This is why the average person touches or looks at their phone 2,617 times a day. In fact, many of you haven't even realized you've done it, but you've, you've reached down and touched it several times. You're walking around, you just can't, you've got to make sure you have it. It's like Smeagol with the ring or something. 
you just like, you have to, you have to, my precious. And it's like, come on, dude, it's an iPhone 4. Like, it's not that special. <laughs> but, but here's the thing, guys. Uh, we are addicted to it in more ways than we realize. That's three times a minute that we're touching or looking at it if we're awake for 16 hours in a day. So our addiction to hurry is fueled by our addiction to the screen, guys. Some of us can't even get through this sermon without looking at it. So we should do our best to limit our exposure to them. I'm being honest. This is just, I want to throw this out there. I'm going to talk about this in my, in my podcast this week. There are a lot of strategies that we could do to limit our screen time that I think would be very healthy for us. But a few things, you could just remove notifications for certain apps. You don't need a notification for everything. Doesn't need to make a noise for everything. What I have is uh, there's two applications on my phone that give me a notification. Call, text. That's it. Another thing you could do is delete certain apps from your phone that take up a lot of your time. So I have made the decision, I don't have anything on my phone at all that could be used for entertainment. I don't need to be entertained by my phone. And so I don't have entertainment apps. Or maybe it's social media for you. But think about what things you might be able to delete altogether from your phone. Another thing that's a really good suggestion is to put your phone to bed and wake it up in the morning. What I mean by that is, and this is, this is a recommendation from the book, uh, s- several of these things are in the sermon, from the book, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. If you're a reader, you can read that. It's by a guy named, a pastor named John Mark Comer. And he gives a lot of these suggestions. And um, this one is what he does. And Karen and I talked about it this week, how we don't do this and we need to start doing this. Um, him and his family, they, they charge their phones, they turn it off and charge it in another room not by their bed. And they, they put it to bed like they put their kids to bed every night. And they wake it up like they wake their kids up every morning. And the reason why they do that, and think about it for yourself, for many of us, the first thing that we look at in the morning is our phone, and the last thing we look at before we go to bed is our phone. And then we wonder why we're filled with so much anxiety when the first thing we look at in the morning is the email that we need to answer. Or we're, filled, we're, 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 we're confused while we're filled with rage and anger because the first thing we see in the morning and the last thing we see before we go to bed is some news line of another thing we should be outraged about. Maybe we should just stop. Just put it away. Limit your screen time. I think it's very, very wise. There are many things you can do, but those are just a few suggestions. Fourth thing you can do is practice Sabbath. So um, there's a lot of misconceptions about what Sabbath even is. Um, here, here, I just want to throw some things out to you. Pick a day of your schedule that works for you. Sunday may be a great day for you, may not be. That's okay. Pick a day that works for you. Every week, slow down on that day. Put away the to-do list. I know you got a lot of things that you need to do. I heard a podcast this week of Kirk Cousins. He's a quarterback for um, the Minnesota Vikings. And he talked about, he's a believer, and he talked about how he takes a Sabbath 
every week as an NFL player, which I, NFL players work a lot because you could do everything you can to get ahead. And he said that he made the decision with him and his wife that every week they're going to take a Sabbath because they believe that God can do more with six of his days than he can do with seven. I thought, man, that's, that's a good statement. And so maybe we should do the same. Now pick a day and just put away the to-do list. And look, here's, here's what you do on a Sabbath. You ready for it? Fun things. <laughs> That's what makes Sabbath awesome. So um, pick a day and you, you, just, you just go uh, you go do things that are fun with your family. You enjoy uh, the day. You go on a hike. You see a movie. Go fishing. Read a book. Eat good food. And most of all, make sure you take time to spend with God. Reading his word, praying. Take a day. Try it. Do it for like two weeks and see what happens. Fifth and last thing is to live with simplicity. We struggle with this. All of us do. Living with simplicity. This requires us to say no to a lot of different things. It's hard for some of us. It requires us to say no to to going and being a part of things, and it requires us to say no to having more things. It's what living with simplicity is. That you probably don't need to be there or do that, and you probably don't need that thing. You're fine. An example of how this impacts us is a story of the man who bought the boat. A guy bought the boat because he looked at his neighbor's house one day and he saw in their driveway a beautiful boat. And he thought, I don't like my neighbor. I want a better boat than what he's got. And I like boats, so I'm going to get one. And so he went, he bought a boat, and the way he justified getting the boat was that he was going to take his family out on the boat, and they were all going to enjoy it together. This was going to be a family-building thing, and he could get at his neighbor. So he buys the boat. And then he takes his family out, and shortly, a couple trips in, he realizes that his wife and his kids do not like going out on the boat. So what does he do? He starts going out on the boat by himself. Because he has to justify the purchase. He's got to use it. So he starts taking the boat out on his own. That takes time. And then as he takes the boat out, then he realizes that the more he takes the boat out, there's more maintenance that needs to be done on the boat. And so that takes time as well. Oh, yeah, and also, the boat was really expensive. And the payments on the boat, whew. So he actually is going to have to start putting in more hours at the office to make sure that he can afford the boat. And in the end, he ended up buying something that he could not afford to spend time that he did not have to impress somebody that he did not care about. And all of that was done that took him away from the thing that actually mattered to him, which is time with his family. The easy way around this is to live with simplicity. Do you need that thing? Probably not. Do you need to go and be a part of that thing? Probably not. No, and I'm not, I'm not telling you not to buy a boat. If you, if you, God, God can use a boat for miraculous ministry and great things in your life. It's just an example but so often we get caught up in the race of having the next thing 
getting the next promotion, going to the next thing, going on a better vacation. We're fighting always for something a little bit better. And I would argue, as I talked about last week in my sermon, that's poor stewardship. Because if, if all we're ever doing is using the things that God has given us for us, then we're being a bad steward. We're called to use it for God's kingdom purpose. So how are we using our time? How are we raising our kids? How are we investing in them, discipling them, teaching them to know who God is? How are we using the funds that he's given us to build his kingdom, not to build ours? These are five ways to slow. They're suggestions. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. They're things that you can do. And I, I would just recommend try them out. Try a few out. Pick one or two and just try them this week. Try out something this week and see how slowing just a little bit changes your perception about life. It changes the way your mind thinks. It changes the way your heart longs for the Lord. And we create room, space for God to move and we create space to love others well. The way of Jesus is the slow and patient way. The way of Jesus is God-oriented and people-oriented. The way of Jesus desires to love people more than getting things done. I pray that this week you see opportunities to practice slowing. And so here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to practice it right now. The way we're going to do that is uh, the band's going to come up and lead us in one more song. And many of us in this moment, every week, think about, all right, this is the concluding song. Let me think about all the other things i got to go do. And we just go to our, our next thing on the to-do list. Rather than being with God's people and worshiping him. And so we're not going to do that this morning. Ten minutes from now, we'll still be there. Okay? So we're going to slow down right now. We're going to be with God. We're going to worship him through song. If you need prayer about something, we're going to have some of our Bible study leaders around the room, on the sides in the back of the room. If you need prayer, you can go to one of them, and they'll, they would love to pray with you. But we're going to respond by slowing down right now, being with God and with his people and worshiping him. Let me invite you to stand and we'll sing. Father, I ask that right now as our mind goes to the next thing on the list, as we're struggling not to look at our phone, as we are already mentally wrestling with the next urgent thing that's coming up later today or this week. Father, I ask that right now you lift the heavy burden off our shoulders and you give us the light yoke of Jesus. Lord, help us to find rest in Christ that our faith and our life is built on him, not on getting things done in our own power. 
that, that he be the one that is the cornerstone of our life, the cornerstone of our faith, the cornerstone of everything that we do and who we are. And Father, as we sing this song, proclaiming this truth, Lord, I ask that you help it resonate deeply in our hearts. Help us to be with right now. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.